Future of Finance podcast, where finance finds its future. Hello, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance. My guest today is Philip Trelevin, Professor and Director of the UK Financial Computing Centre at University College London. Our subject is a development which could be as exciting as the internet itself, the datanet. Hello, Philip. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me to talk about uh, this, which I agree with you could be a, uh, a mega impact. Um, so tell us, tell us what, what is a data net? Well, uh, let me, uh, a number of people have recognised that what we need is a way to do information management uh, across the internet. And uh, there, there are lots of sort of parallel initiatives going on. If you can think uh, like uh, uh, digital marketplaces for law and insurance, uh, there are people uh, setting up data stores to keep your data safe. Uh, there are companies uh, implementing information management systems. If you take, for example, a bank to manage all its legal documents, uh, there are government, there's pressure on government to get the regulators to collaborate both at a national level and also at an international level. It's all about information management. Now, many people have thought that the, uh, the only thing they need to get right is what we call universal object identifiers. And uh, this is something we almost take for granted. Uh, you know, telephone numbers, barcodes, social security numbers, all of these are uh, universal object identifiers. And for a number of years, uh, Bob Kahn, who's the co-inventor of the internet, has been working on what he calls digital object identifiers. And, and these uh, really are just an extension, I probably shouldn't dismiss it, but they're an extension of the sort of uh, internet addressing, the uh, URLs, Uniform uh, Resource Locators and IP addresses, which are also uh, universal identifiers. And the idea is that these digital object identifiers are a uniform way of um, uh, uniquely identifying a document, finding out where it is, allowing people to access it, share it, uh, etc. Et but documents and, excuse me, web pages are just one thing. If you think about it, people are an object, uh, collaborations, companies, and then you've got initiatives like the uh, Industry 4.0, where you're trying to manage production from design right through to uh, producing it on a particular machine to marketing it. It's all information management. And so what we're talking about now, uh, probably the pivotal technology are these unique object identifiers, where an object can be a document, a design, a person, a collaboration, a company, etc. What the data net, however, requires is a whole raft of technologies to actually uh, manage uh, this. And if I can just um, look away for a moment, I'll try and share a um, a diagram. The, the, there are a number of different um, companies setting up digital marketplaces, even governments. You know, there's a scramble to create digital marketplaces for law, uh, legal services, and insurance. 
two candidates. Uh, there's other standard organizations that are looking to standardize uh, digital object identifiers or, or uh, uh, unique object identifiers. Uh, there, are, there are governments, uh, particularly in financial regulation, uh, trying to collaborate on, on, on things like AML and and uh, KYC. Uh, the, there's all sorts of data access uh, organizations being, being set up. And they're sort of parallel initiatives all going in the same direction. And often uh, they just use a single technology like these unique object identifiers. Now, what we will argue, uh, what I argue is that the data net is actually a sort of technology stack. So at the bottom level, you've got uh, some sort of thing like a distributed ledger or a distributed database. Next, you've got, and it, maybe the best way to think about this is if you were holding all the data, for example, about insurance. So at the bottom, you've got an insurance um, a database with lots of information. Uh, next, uh, you've got a common data model that's just that allows people to collaborate using uh, this data and, and targeted on, let's say, on insurance. Then on top of this, your unique object identifiers, where you can identify every policy, every company, every person that's an organization that's being insured. And then you've got a really interesting technology called federated learning. Now, federated learning has been uh, developed by Google for actually uh, allowing machine learning uh, models to be trained across distributed data sets while keeping the data private. And they've used it to actually train their algorithms on keystroke predictions across millions of Android phones. Now, what we're realizing is that because of the importance, the increasing importance of data privacy, something like federated learning is actually a big deal. It's a big deal in sort of three areas. It, it, it's a big deal for things like um, uh, Internet of Things, where you've got lots of primitive devices that you that need to communicate, but you don't want them to give up their raw data. You've got big organizations that need to collaborate, for example, a big retailer, uh, an FMCG company, maybe a bank. Uh, they, they, again, they've got very valuable data that they want to be able to contribute without actually giving people access to raw data like loyalty cards. Uh, and the final one is increasingly companies are wanting to actually monetize their very valuable data, but again, not make the raw data available. It could be credit card data, loyalty cards, uh, etc. Et, et and, and therefore, uh, data privacy uh, is, is important, but collaboration is also important. And federated learning, I sometimes describe as actually taking the algorithms to the data rather than trying to pull the data into the cloud uh, to process it. So I'm, uh, th I think this is going to be a really important technology. Moving up the stack, um, if you want to automate commerce, you need to actually automate your regulations, your legal contracts, and even laws. Uh, so, for example, with regulations, you can test whether you're compliant in a particular jurisdiction. Uh, contracts can actually automate uh, things like trade uh, to, to automatically pay people when 
bits of the contract are fulfilled. And then uh, finally, uh, people are wanting to be able to interrogate laws to see whether they're actually legal in a particular area. So you can give you a simple example. Uh, at the moment, you've got all this hoo-ha about customs and uh, trading between the UK and the EU. The, probably the ideal situation is to try and automate the customs uh, legislation uh, so that people can, you know, you can actually do it in an automatic uh, way. So what we've got here is this technology stack and people are actually developing these things independently for lots of different applications, like I said, digital marketplaces, uh, government departments collaborating, uh, and uh, Internet of Things infrastructures, and uh, also Industry 4.0. What we're arguing is that, you know, there's a lot of advantage of doing this at the present time, but ultimately these things will actually coalesce into what I'm calling a data net to indicate its analogy, obviously, with the internet, and it will sit on top of the internet and allow information to be managed. Now, what we've got is we've got a, an Innovate UK project, which is funded uh, to produce a platform that essentially implements all this data uh, net uh, technology, although the uh, executable contracts is still uh, under development, but it is using federated learning, it's using universal identifiers, it's using things like distributed ledgers. And what we're doing now is we're working with government departments and also companies to actually trial different applications to actually, uh, uh, you know, um, demonstrate the technology and, uh, and, and get, it, get it going. So I'll stop sharing there and hand back to Dominic to ask me any questions or ask me any points you'd like me to clarify. Well, thanks, but there was a lot in what in what you said there, and I'd like to, to pick up several points and perhaps we could deal with them in turn. Uh, you mentioned, for example, standard digital object identifiers. Are you describing a world in which we don't actually need data standards anymore because we've got an alternative? You know, a lot of uh, exchanges of data hinge upon people standardizing the formats in which they exchange that data. Does this technology overcome that problem? No, I think it's, um, th there's a lot of advantage for whether it's a company or a government, say, implementing a digital marketplace for legal services or insurance to get their own standard. And the, the benefit also, it, it helps us understand what we're doing. Uh, but one of the ways, for example, is you might have an XML or a JSON uh, encoding of the data. And then the thing that uh, identifies the standard, excuse me, is the tags that actually are specific for that particular application. And it isn't like you're backing yourself into a corner. If you've got a data standard, let's say for insurance, you can actually build or expand it and, and, and include it in a sort of more global structure, which we think will happen when things start to coalesce. Can I, can I perhaps I can rephrase that question then, because uh, having listened to, to your answer, which is the problem with standards is there's a lot of them and people have problems adopting them. You might have a great standard, but actually getting people to use it has proved quite difficult. Does it overcome that problem? Does it yes, I think adoption? 
Yes, I, th I think it, 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 it's sort of work in progress. And I'm sure if you went back to barcodes and telephone numbers and things like that, you'd have had a situation where there were lots of different competing in quote standards and then they coalesce. Uh, the, um, I'm a great exponent of bottom-up research so that you understand what you're doing. And obviously the marketplace will actually dictate uh, the different standards, but you can imagine a standard for law, you can imagine a standard for regulation, for insurance, for audit and things like this. And, there's the, the, and some of them will be successful and then what all you need is a translation mechanism or a mapping mechanism, let's say based on, on universal object identifiers, which will actually allow these things to be knitted together. So you can imagine a time when a government might uh, have its government um, uh, organization, or let, let's take a, an offshore financial center. You might have the, the government registration for companies, the way that the financial companies actually trade, you know, are monitored by the government for regulation, the way they do tax, the way they do audit. You can imagine that all knitted together in some automated uh, system in the future. Can, can I give you an, an example from the securities industry where we have two, if not three, standards, ISO 2082, ISO 15082, and the old 775 standards. And at the moment, banks uh, are having to translate between these standards, map them and, and translate them exactly the way you've described uh, on behalf of their, their clients. Are you describing a system which would enable them to fully automate that process? Yes. Uh, if, if you think of uh, the internet, and particularly if you're old enough, you'll remember before the internet, uh, when there were lots of competing communication standards. And what the internet did was it put a common architecture on top of it. And, and now everybody considers the internet, you know, it's fully embedded in society, companies, etc. All I'm saying is that we expect something on top of that for managing information, which I'm what is it the right word colloquially calling a data net uh, for actually uh, making this and just as the internet has, a, has protocols for translating between different communication systems there'll be there'll be translation systems for the different uh, data structures addressing mechanisms etc and what about what about apis where does this technology fit with apis if apis have come to huge prominence in recent years as a way of exchanging data efficiently between different systems. Can they contribute to that, automating that as well? Uh, yes, the, uh, you can imagine if you're building uh, APIs uh, or apps are probably an even better example for a particular sector like legal services or regulation, uh, then uh, th they will be focused just on the particular thing that they're, they're doing. For example, regulation is a good e example. Uh, and um, what you'll get then in the future is a modification of these APIs or, and also apps so that they can actually collaborate. And uh, the, the, the obvious one would be audit taxation, um, you know, automating uh, customs, these sorts of things. Well, let me give you an example, another example of, of something we follow quite closely at Future of Finance, which is open banking, open data, where you as a consumer can agree to share, instruct your bank to share data with some third party provider of an app that you, you want to use. Uh, 
And we feel this is probably the way the world is, is going to evolve. That you're going to get a kind of consumer sovereignty through the ownership of their, their data. And that has huge implications for the way that, that business is going to operate. Indeed, the whole future of capitalism may be changed by this. And, and what you're describing strikes me as um, facilitating that, making it easier. You know, the, the progress on open data, open banks has been very patchy, uh, particularly here in the UK, but also in Australia and, and Canada as well, where they have initiatives going on. Uh, do you think the, the data net can accelerate progress in open banking, open data? Uh, yes, I, I I think that you made the point, uh, I, you know, very very well that it, you know it's work in progress, and and these things often take a while to actually kick in. Uh, but um, when you, if you think about open banking, you're going to have things like open audit, uh, open uh, finance, open insurance, etc., and uh, th they'll probably be developed independently. But, you know, th th there will then be pressure once people understand what they're doing to actually knit them together. So uh, th there's a lot of argument for actually now expanding on uh, open banking to do open finance, you know, an umbrella situation. I don't think anybody would say it'll never happen. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of advantage, for example, for a country like the UK or Singapore to actually push ahead with things like this to make it easier for for you know for companies to do business, uh, it, and and therefore I think we both agree that it's going to happen. It's just how quickly and whether a particular country or um, you know maybe even a company can actually get first first mover advantage you know by by implementing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to get open energy and open broadband and open insurance as you say as well, but. You've just mentioned first mover advantage. Is this, I mean, the great thing about the internet is a universal, universalizable technology. It's open to everybody. Uh, is open data potentially open to being captured by a particular jurisdiction or not? I don't think it's open data. I think the the, the, the there are a number right, of data net. I meant yeah. yeah there, there's a number. Of, it's a good point. I'd just like to answer this specific point. There's a number of organisations saying, "Give us your data and we'll protect it for you." Okay. Uh, I think it's for the fairies, quite honestly. <laughs> the I think that something like federated learning, where um, people can uh, collaborate and provide access to their data while keeping the raw data secure or, or private, excuse me, is 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 the way uh, to go. But it, what what we're seeing now, almost on a daily basis is uh, you know you if you just take retail for example you know the online retailers have caused havoc for the traditional retailers you, you have to and and we we've seen for example in share trading and i often relate the story we 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 built one of the first uh, algorithmic trading platforms in in europe and i remember stockbrokers um, um you know almost saying to me you're an academic idiot when I said about people sh trading shares on the internet and uh, th they said you know it'll never happen uh, you know people want to come and have lunch with somebody like me and get the benefit of my you know 25 years <laughs> experience <laughs> I didn't say you know see you in hell <laughs> but uh, the I think that you know it 
we, we've seen the digitization, particularly of the service sector. And I think, for example, you know, insurance is huge in the UK. The Chinese companies like Ping An, um, supported by Alibaba and Tencent, have basically automated uh, insurance. And therefore, um, uh, you know, the opportunity for, let's say, Singapore or, you know, you know, even an offshore financial center to actually provide a digital insurance marketplace uh, like Amazon is, 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 you might say, frightening or, you know, an opportunity. But, um, the, the, you know, it'd be good if we did it rather than just, you know, let the market sort it out. Mm -hmm. Um, can I pick you up on, on, on something else? It's a very interesting observation about the sort of Amazon for, for insurance. And, um, but can I pick up on something else you said? You, you said a minute ago that, that the idea that they're going to be what I'd call data repository service providers. In other words, we say to people, well, here's all my personal data from my birth certificate and my passport through to my banking information. Could you please look after it? And, and you will provide a service in which I say, show this bit of that this data to that organization this part of my data to that organization which which i've always felt is maybe the way forward here you've just said that's for the fairies yes why, why do you say that to tell us you mentioned federated learning people people are very, people are very precious about their data and uh, therefore they won't want to actually give it to third parties um what 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 you will do is that um and this probably already happens to some extent, you know, with, with things like insurance and government and that, is that they've got your data and um, companies can actually not access the raw data, but they can confirm, for example, whether you've got car insurance or whether you've had a no claims bonus, say, for 10 years or something like this. So in many ways it's happening. And therefore, and I think what will probably drive it it things like companies will increasingly want to actually monetize the data without actually giving away raw data. And if you, if, for example, take transport for London, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know whether it's bankrupt or short of money, but, you know, uh, they, they, need, they need to, um, uh, you know, generate revenue. And, th but they've got absolutely a goldmine of data that they could actually commercialize they won't want it, they they won't are not allowed you know for data protection to give away the raw data but they could actually provide that um what do they call it das data uh, as a service uh, you know and charge companies for the information but if if people are not taking ownership of their data the, the data continues to be possessed if you like by the organizations which possess it already and so you as a consumer can't decide who sees it but it remains fragmented across lots of different organizations it's not the same thing as consumer sovereignty of data is it it it, it you're assuming that people will give access to the data without my permission i, I you can still i think there's a difference um I, I, this analogy is maybe stupid, but uh, for example, you know, the banks look after my money. Um, I still have control over how it's spent to some degree. Yes. And, mm -hmm. and therefore, if you don't want uh, an organization, for example, let, let's say you shop at Tesco's, uh, you've got um, 
one of their loyalty cards, their club cards. You might still actually refuse to um, allow Tesco's to actually monetize it, in a, even you know in an anonymous way. So I think the the difference is um, you've got your data is scattered across your bank, uh, you know, your supermarket, your insurance company and all of these others. Do you pull it into a single depository? And I'm saying, no, you don't. Uh, you, you, it, it doesn't take away your right to uh, say who has access to it or the law covering it as well. It's just that I don't think that these um, data banks or whatever they want to call it um, are likely to succeed uh, as against federated learning which i think is more um socially acceptable right so you you would own it in the sense that you would have the right to decide who sees your data with your bank or with tesco or with her majesty's government yes because okay, so that the and that that which brings me to something else you, you you raised which is the whole question of of privacy and do you think what we've just talked about that you decide who gets to see the data with a, with a particular organization is the answer. Does that guarantee privacy to people? Uh, yes, I think it's, uh, I, I, I guess the, there may even be radical changes in the law to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to protect privacy. And the, the, in some ways, GDPR doesn't work very well. Uh, you know, it's people. You keep bumping into it that uh, you know people are saying, "Oh, I can't give you this information," even though most people in society would say, "Yes, the information should be made available, even you know, to the security services or, or something." But uh, I think things like federal. Th th there's two things. One is the big. The big issue isn't federated learning, but it's uni uh, universal object identifiers, so that more and more things can be integrated. Um, you know, so that you, you, you know, we'll move to a system, you know, where tax could be done almost in real time and things like and, and, th and things like this. And obviously, on, on the back of that, then you've got these other technologies that, that are working in tandem with the uni uh, universal object identifiers. And we probably need to think through what laws we need to say how they work. You, you've mentioned federated learning a, a number of times, and I, I think I know what you mean, but just give us a, a clear explanation of what that means. Uh, yes, the uh, traditionally, um, particularly where you've got machine learning algorithms, you would suck everybody's raw data that were collaborating into the cloud, and then you'd have a single machine learning algorithm that would uh, trawl through these different data sets uh, and, and train itself. The problem with that is that organizations and individuals don't want to give up their raw data or are not allowed to do it, you know, and, and it's potentially quite dangerous, uh, etc. And, uh, and that. So what you do is you turn it on its head. What you do is you take, uh, you've got lots of distributed data sets. The easiest one to think of is maybe three big companies collaborating, you know, it may be on the coronavirus uh, 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 at the moment. Uh, and what, what you do is you, you get an algorithm to train on individually those different data sets in, 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 in a separate way. And then you actually take the trained or anonymous analyzer data to a single uh, algorithm that adjusts itself and then it distributes the final algorithm to everybody. 
and therefore you've actually preserved the uh, privacy of the data. So that's why I'm using the analogy, not taking the data to the algorithm, but taking the algorithms to the data. Mm -hmm. Did that make sense? That does make sense, yes. In fact, I was thinking as you were speaking that it's a way of uh, constructing one of our favorite things at Future of Finance, which is digital IDs. Yes. I right to think that. Yes, uh, it, uh, digital IDs, absolutely, they're, they're uniform, you know, universal object identifiers, unique, they can be allocated in a distributed way, you can resolve them. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the key thing, it, is, it isn't just humans, it isn't just documents and web pages, uh, it isn't just machines, it's, you know, the whole, what, what we want is a single uh, addressing mechanism uh, that, that does the whole lot. Uh, because, uh, you know, we're even moving to situations where you've got, um, you know, you've got algorithms operating like artificial people. Uh, so um, you can you can see the way things are going so that any object can have its own identifier and, and it can be resolved of where it is. I think the beauty of what you're describing for digital IDs is that I don't have to say to somebody, a company, please manufacture a digital ID and here's your right to access my data to manufacture it for me. This becomes a much more seamless, distributed, as you say, federated, process where it's assembled from lots of different components in lots of different databases, isn't it? No, absolutely. And, and you know, going back to the internet, you know, that you, if you saw how it evolved, it just became universally easy to use and everybody was using it, uh, you know, and as I say, the rest is history. And, and the argument now is we now need to do the same thing for information management. Now, this makes me, me think, what are the implications of this? You've mentioned Google, you know, being the pioneers of, of federated learning, but what are the implications of this for the Fangs, for the Amazons, for the Microsofts, for the Facebooks, and for the Googles of the world? These are organizations whose revenue model depends to some extent upon uh, monetizing uh, or reselling our attention to, to third parties who, who advertise to us. Um, is, is this technology going to be good news for their business model or is it going to empower a whole new class of, of organizations whose revenue model doesn't rest upon reselling our attention to third parties? Yeah, the, 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 that's a really fascinating question and one I have to say that, you know, I've now thought about for about a nanosecond. Uh, my, my assumption is that it could be a democratization of uh, uh, information management. So you haven't got a few big companies monopolizing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know whether the, the analogy with, you know, fintech and, and such like, but my, my assumption is that rather than Google um, taking advantage of your data, more and more people will be um, able to participate. So for example, if you have a supermarket that, uh, that wishes to actually monetize uh, your loyalty card data, or, you know, and also your, you know, the transactions you make without saying who it is, it, you might, it might be the case that they need to actually recompense you for, be, for you participating in that, otherwise you block it. And uh, you can see the way, for example, that YouTube has grown by um, hosting people's videos, but then the, the people, you know, the, 
the influencers and people like that are uh, if you've got a lot of followers and people looking at your videos they do pay you at least something for it mm -hmm. so we can look forward to a world in which actually our uh, benefit for the consumer is that their data has a market value which the people who wish to make use of it sell to third parties will actually pay you for it uh, yes, I, I think that that's a reasonable thing to assume. Uh, otherwise, consumers will just block access and the government will uh, governments will actually implement laws to give them the right. Well, you, you know, you can see this is on the cards already uh, to have control over their data. Just one final question, Philip, just you, you touched on this earlier, but where has this technology actually got to? who's working on it and when can we look forward to some concrete applications of it? The, 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 there's lots of, you can split it into two parts. Uh, firstly, there are a number of organizations, companies, governments, you know, NGOs, etc., that are pursuing specific applications. And that might be digital marketplaces, um, Internet of Things infrastructure, uh, Industry 4.0, collaboration of government departments or automation of government departments. So they're all beavering ahead and, that, and that's to be encouraged. Then there are people uh, like, like uh, you know, uh, working on things like digital object identifiers and looking at standards uh, for that and there's a competition between you know Bob Kahn's uh, set up this uh, DOI uh, organization it works very well uh, you know it's a not-for-profit uh, and that uh, the European Commission are trying to develop their own addressing structure uh, and it isn't you know one of them is going to win because you can map one one to the other uh, and therefore uh, and what my contribution or our contribution is we have this um, uh, Innovate UK funded platform called AIR, uh, which tries to pull lots of things together. And we're trying to prove this or pull the technologies together uh, and, and try and implement various different applications, you know, to, uh, to demonstrate it, uh, you know, whether it's regulation or digital marketplaces. So uh, there are lots of things that actually work like the digital object identifiers uh, there's the um, iot infrastructure standards there's the uh, industry 4.0 uh, and it isn't a case that they're going to be made redundant uh, they will just go forward until they coalesce so there's a lot going on it isn't pie in the sky i think my only contribution is to say if you think where it's going to go it's probably going to coalesce into what I'm calling a data net at, at some stage with various different mapping functions between the different uh, uh, systems but the best way to move forward is to actually pursue, pursue all these initiatives independently uh, and then once they were all proved pull together but I guess that a lot of these will come together in the next not 15 years, but probably the next two or three years. Now, I, I must ask you this again, you've touched on it already, but this technology strikes me as potentially very powerful, potentially transformative in, in much the same way that the internet was powerful and transformative. And as we know, the internet emerged from 
work in the Department of Defense. It, it emerged from national security considerations, if you like. Now we've talked a little bit about first mover advantage. The internet eventually became available to everybody, but that didn't happen entirely by accident. Uh, you know, measures had to be taken to ensure that's, that it didn't become a, a closed garden, to use the phrase which we often hear in, in the technology industry. Is there a danger here that this technology gets gets captured or is it useless if it's captured by one interest? I think if you look at the, the internet's very interesting because what you're seeing now is what they call splinternet. You know, there's a Chinese internet, there's a Western internet, there's a Russian internet. And so, um, yes, I think um, given, you know, all the cyber attacks and things like that, uh, the it, it it is quite likely uh, that the what we're calling the data net might also splinter into different groups uh, because people obviously see uh, or governments will obviously see competitive advantage and uh, there's a, there's a huge amount of economic you know uh, competition at the moment uh, you know even between governments for for different digital marketplaces so. Um, I think it's you know the the analogy that you've alluded to uh, you know of it splintering is um, you know an all you know is is quite likely yes I think one has to admit that mm -hmm. and is it is it too soon to say which interest that's the word I'll use is is ahead in this technology and who's behind uh, yes. Um, I'm very impressed that with the amount of innovation going on in Asia. Um, the, um, the Asians have um, a model that I often refer to as state capitalism. Mm -hmm. in, you know, uh, in that all the resources are uh, focused on economic development. And uh, I think that the, you know, Countries like particularly Korea, uh, uh, Singapore, etc., uh, are moving very rapidly. And um, what we need to do, and particularly if we just look at it as a single country, is that we also need to innovate in the same speed. Uh, otherwise, the innovations will all happen in, in, in Asia. And particularly in things like the service sector, um, the you know the, the, the everything's up for grabs. Having said this, the positive sign in the UK at the moment is there's a huge amount of innovation going on. Uh, you know, people doing startups, uh, uh, the unbelievable number of people, uh, are students. <laughs> you know, they're changing the way universities do impactful research. They're all trying to commercialize what they're doing. Uh, lots of professionals are now thinking. You know, to 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 do a, a what I call a hobby startup, uh, and that so lots of positive signs. But uh, at the moment, uh, whether you call it an economic war or whatever, it, but uh, there's certainly a, a, a scramble to innovate at, at the moment, and uh, you know, and Asia is definitely setting the pace. So, if there was one thing you could name which would accelerate the progress in developing this technology in the United Kingdom. Or the United States, what would it be? The obviously, my belief is that um, just as the 
American government, although the, we're talking about the military push the internet and open source it, if the British government chose to put to to adopt something like the data net, you know, or the concept, uh, etc., uh, th there could be great economic advantage for us. Having said that, a single offshore financial center could also get great economic advantage by uh, integrating all its government and financial services uh, together. But um, the key thing is not to write policy papers, but to actually do it. We, we have a lot of interaction with the Singapore government now. And uh, it's very interesting, the differences that you, you, you could say they don't write policy papers, they just drive change. You know, they, dri they drive implementation. And the problem in the UK is there's a tendency to think that all we need to do is write a policy paper on it rather than to actually implement it. And I think the even the head of the CBI was saying, you know, it, the, what is it, the proof of the pudding is actually in doing it rather than, you know, discussing it. But uh, lots of positive signs you know huge amounts of innovation going on in the uk and the government has uh, is is clearly taking a bigger role in change uh, they just need to choose some groundbreaking uh, you, you know things and 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 i would offer them my data net concept uh, as you know as a, as a as as one thing that could actually be a, a, you know um, a sea change in in the uk actually do it. We might well adopt that as our new motto at uh, Future of Finance. Uh, Philip Chilevin, thank you very much. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you for inviting me.